welcome to discussions of music, healing, and consciousness with your hosts, Chris Noble and Bill Prosman. In today's episode, we're going to talk about intentionality behind music, why it's so important to set intentions behind listening and performing your music, as well as experiences that both myself and Bill have had when music has uplifted us to a degree we've never experienced before. We'll also discuss our process with writing therapeutic and healing music, what Bill and myself experience when we go through the writing process. We'll be talking about that and much, much more, as always, in our open conversation here on discussions of music, healing, and consciousness. So I get these daily Google alerts. You know, I just, Google sends me anything that has to Protzman, Music Care, whatever, all that. I forget okay. what the terms are I'm looking for. And so this one came a few days ago. And um, when it says Music Care, it's usually that company in France, but there's a Music Care app. Oh, and if you go and look for it, it's only for, you know, professional use under the guidance of blah, 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 and whatever. And um, I guess the music is all curated. I don't know what music it is because I'm not a professional and I can't get the app. You know, I suppose I could, but. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, yeah it's like, so, um, okay. So I respect this is a clinical tool. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the study that came through apparently used that app because they reference in the part of the study you can see, they reference the music care app. And, um, that's fine. Okay. So I'm making a big assumption here, but the interesting thing about the study to me, Chris, was that they had 37 subjects, I guess. And some of them were listening to music from the music care app and some of them were not. And they were doing, um, I got to look at it, get this term right, because I'll botch it. If I don't, um, where to go, they were doing a medical procedure called, uh, central venous catheter or dialysis catheter. So either one of those um, were the procedure, the subject procedure. Okay. So, you know, the, some of them got, um, some of them got music and some didn't. And the thing that's remarkable to me about the study is it goes to what we were talking about last week with regard to intention, because they found no statistical difference between the ones who had music and the ones who didn't. They all experienced the same level of pain and anxiety. Hmm. <laughs> so, like, well, for many reasons, right? Right. Um, I mean, obviously, why are you putting these headphones on me, dog? Oh, it's just, you know, it's just, I didn't, I don't know what they said. Did, did, did they even right. tell them? Right. It's just how we do it, right? You wear right. headphones. Yeah. I mean, is it Walter Cronkite talking to you? Is it, <laughs> What's the purpose of it? What's the purpose, right? So it, it seems kind of weird in that they would almost prevent the patients from knowing what was happening. Mm. Did they put headphones with no music on another group? Of, I mean, I, this is why you want to read studies carefully, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like what was actually happening during yeah, the study? What's really going on? I mean, they just wanted to sort of try this and see if it worked, which is great. You know, let's do that. What's music going to hurt you? Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, but I, I thought to myself, okay, if this had been my study, I wouldn't want to have biased it by saying, now I'm going to play some relaxing music in your headphones while you have this procedure. Right. Because that would be, Technically, that would be a bias. Yes. Right? I'd be introducing the result that I hope to achieve uh, directly with the subject versus allowing the subject to have their own experience. Um, uh, it, it, it's, is it completely, I mean, is it, is it possible anymore to not know why you're listening to music? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I guess the question is too, you know, is for this so like, I'll read out the conclusion here. It says, in the first randomized pilot study of musical intervention for central venous 
cather, <laughs> yeah, catheterization that. in awake patients in the intensive care unit. The musical intervention did not reduce patients' anxiety as compared with usual care. Well, I would also ask, <clears throat> first and foremost, yeah, well, what kind of music are they listening to? What if it's crap? first right Right, like what if it is if it's not good music and that is obviously um a bias but i think most people know the difference between beethoven and um something that you know a non-musician unskillfully throws together right 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 now i'm sure it's not like terrible but i would be curious to hear this music as well like what are we like what is you know some because i would argue on the opposite side like i've played music either my own composed stuff or not and let's say it's got like uh, some wind and maybe a creek you know nice light water in the background moving sure and uh you know the immediate reaction for most people with these things is is it's very soothing like i've got a crystal healing bowl like a sound going on and you just got this like you know nice calm nature it's how do you not feel more calm and and relaxed when you listen to things like that so that's where I go. Then those are examples of the opposite of this study, which is, I don't think anyone needs to be told what they're listening to, to experience very right. relaxing effects. Right. You know? And and would you not, if you were offering this calming music to a patient, I mean, would you not somewhere in the background be setting the dial to calm? And even if you didn't say anything, mm. I mean, you, you're not playing a uh, screamo. <laughs> no. I, no. We can eliminate some of the genres, but um, you know, I, I'm I'm first of all thinking to myself, so what went wrong, right? <laughs> Anybody's first reaction, right? Music is supposed to be calming. I mean, some music is supposed to be calming if that was your objective. Uh, and the Music Care app is designed. You can read what it says about how it's supposed to be calming, and you know, sit down mm-hmm. in a quiet place mm-hmm. with headphones and blah blah. blah I'm sure listen, it is. Yeah, you know? like, and and, yeah. It, and it must be. However, in these patients. And, um, I, you know, honestly, from where we were last week, I think it's a mistake to not introduce something with a purpose, especially when it's an intervention like music that is so wide reaching. I mean, it's not like you're just targeting one cell in the body with music, right? You get the whole physiology, you get the, the emotions, you get the spiritual connection, all mm. of that goes into it. And, and uh, to try to not introduce that, it seems like you'd be getting in your way. I mean, I could change that study and the results of it. You could too, by just going in and say, Hey, we want you to listen to this calming music while you're getting catheterized. Yeah. Right. I mean, we could probably make that result happen just and and play any music. And then, you know, that's where we get the placebo effect, of course, which is, you know, the, the, it, the placebo effects, that funny thing in medicine that a lot of people like to ignore because it brings up a very obvious and, um, kind of a paradoxical argument towards the pharmaceutical industry and whatnot, because it shows the power of the human mind and human intention and mind over matter truly is a real thing. Anyone who's looked into Dr. Joe Dispenza or Bruce Lipton's work knows this, like this is not woo-woo, this is science that says that's a thousand percent true. That's what the placebo effect is telling us is that we have the power to shift ourselves physiologically just based off of what we believe and what we think. So there's that playing an element, of course, but, you know, I look at the Johns Hopkins psilocybin therapies that they're experimenting yes. with right now. 
And a big part of those therapies is the intention before you take the psilocybin. And I, I really don't think it's any different than even with music or CBD, THC, like cannabis or whatever it is, you know, that, that intention is very, very important. And then the music has to deliver, of course, but yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to assume that the music care app is going to at least be like pretty decent. You know, yeah, I mean, it's designed by music therapists, right? So it's got to be soothing. It's got to be some degree. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's not terrible. So, um, so I'm sure it works. It's just now of a question of like, okay, so if it didn't do anything, yeah, I would love to know, like, what's the difference between the intentionality then behind that, you know? Um, and and I, I have a hard time believing that it didn't do anything. I know. Isn't that, isn't that strange? I I really do. Um, well, in the first place, it's odd to me that anyone would design an app with what is believed to be calming music because music therapy is the one responsible for finding out that the music that you love is your most powerful music. Mm. So if you happen to love a particular genre of music, let's say, I don't know, oldies crooners, and you're part of the study and the music that's coming at you is new age and you don't like that, that's a problem for me, right? Because we had the research that said the music you love is the most powerful music. And then we went around and we played some other music that, you know, didn't line up with the person's interior experience of what music does. Mm. And, and we're, we're, now we're studying two different things, right? We've tripped over our own research that said, play music that the person loves, you know, and then we're also trying to measure some third effect with this random music that we thought was the right music to play that actually isn't. Mm. So what's the question, right? Is that, did we pick the wrong music? Which I think is a valid thing to ask. Yeah, music care. If you, I could ask you in French, I would. Uh, pourquoi? <laughs> right. So, so why did you why did you presume that you knew what music was best? Mm. I mean, that's scientifically, you know, sort of we have to ask that because it's mm-hmm. part of the the rigor of the thing. And then two, um, did you give any intention? Was there any intended outcome here that you right. were able to offer to these patients? And clearly, I mean, if your intention was to lower their pain and anxiety, wouldn't you say that? <laughs> right? And maybe use two different kinds of music. I mean, use music that is in your app and use music that is the music the patient told you that they like most. Yeah, right. Exactly. That like. seems like a more reliable way of measuring the effect of music for the catheterization and anxiety and stuff around that. And of course, now, of course, having said that, we all know that forest sounds and water and, and you know, all of that's very calming for most mm-hmm. people, right? Mm-hmm. How you would find 37 people that aren't calmed by music that you've researched as being, you know, generally calming music. Yeah. It's a fair question too. Like you don't have to like the soothing music, but it has, it's, it's coming in. We've talked about this before. It's more functional. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're trying to serve a larger purpose with it. In a sense, you're, I, I find I'm almost half the time writing it. I'll do something. I'm like, oh, that's that's too melodic or it's too uh, catchy in a sense. It's almost like right. too not good, but it's becoming more music, something that becomes even more, uh, let's say, artistic, more uh, melodic expression. So we're moving away from the functionality of this piece and we're going into music, which is what we're more used to, which is just a form of entertainment. Oh, I really like that song. It's super catchy. People say that, you know, yeah. and you, yeah. you actually don't really want to write that way with, with this kind of therapeutic music. You kind of want to keep it so that it serves its function. People don't get caught up in the music per se, because so many, so many great songs take you on a journey. 
and you're with that song on that journey. Whereas I find this kind of music, it's like, well, it want, it, you want to encourage yourself to go on your own journey, certainly, but it's not going to be necessarily guided specifically by the music, you know, when there's lyrics or there's real obvious verse, chorus, yeah. bridge structures, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's also like the way in which this music's written, I find I try to write it so that it's general, you know, so that it's going to actually be a little more, um, I don't want to use the words like bland because it's not, but like, no, it's more inviting. Near, it's more, uh, it, it's more, um, broader spectrum, broader think, spectrum. Yeah. You know, I almost said bigger tent. I was looking for something that wasn't a political analogy, but <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it appeals to mean. more people in a, well, I don't know. I mean, if you say healing music these days, people think of uh, Tibetan bowls, right? Yeah. And ambient sound and um, not not too much melody and very few lyrics unless you're listening to Ram Dass, mm-hmm. amazing guy. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, I agree with all that's sort of our general Western appreciation for healing music. I don't know what they think about in the East and clearly I don't know what they think about in France. Yeah. Which, you know, who knows? Maybe they were playing, you know, a deep off or something and, and, or some other cultural icon that, that took people down the road. I mean, I don't think so because, you know, if it's in an app and it's designed by clinicians, it's probably more like what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, in the healing mode, very ambient, probably ambient, whatever, you know, if there's any vocal, it would be long tones. Yes. Interesting harmony. Mm -hmm. Um, Even two of them throat singing. I mean, there's, there's a lot of really cool stuff, but yeah, the lyrics kind of distract you from that. Lyrics are very distracting. um, Mm -hmm. I'm part of this sort of online group that talks about mushroom trips. Mm. And which I hope to have one day. And one of the guys last week said, Hey, I'm so I'm I'm going on this journey. He says in four hours, right? <laughs> and it turns out that he had curated a four-hour playlist mm. of the kind of music you're talking about, Chris. No lyrics, just soothing, but he did it in sort of like an intentional way. Smart for his trip. And um he shared all this and it came back and then he shared the playlist, which is really interesting too. And I've yet to find four hours where I can sit down and experience all of it. Yeah. But um but the idea was the intention. He mm. wanted music around him. And he was very specific about the music that he chose and the order in which it was to be played and all of that. And um, of course, he said, you know, that his trip just synced so perfectly with the music. Mm. And of course, I'm thinking to myself, well, of course it did, because that's what you intended, right? Mm-hmm. You intended for this music. And so, of course, your trip would sync with the music because you brought your intention to it. Mm. And why not? That's a great thing. Oh, it's amazing. You know, and it, it, you know, it reminds me of my mushroom trips that were music played such an integral role. Yeah. And it really, it was the shaman in a lot of ways guiding me mm. through the trip. You know, it, it speaks that language when you're on something like mushrooms or psilocybin and you're tapping into these other frequencies and, and dimensions per se, where you really start to look at reality quite literally very viscerally different because you can see it with your you know, your physical eyes, or maybe it's, it's a bit yeah. broader than that's so your third eye, that pineal gland, that center that sees these, it's like your radio um, bandwidth is, is opening up when you're on mushrooms. And uh, so yeah. the music I find can really synthesize with, with the mushrooms, especially with the intention behind them. And it will, it will absolutely just, it will take you on, on a journey and it starts to, sometimes I would see the music for like coming into shapes in the walls. And it was like blending in with my physical environment. Cause you could really start to see the frequencies of this music and how they ebb and flow. And I found uh, 
it's not surprising that he had a, a playlist and I've gotten that way now over the, over the years of doing mushrooms where I'm like, well, I gotta have, I might not even end up listening to music because sometimes that's, I want to hear nature. For example, I want to hear the music yeah. of like the birds and the, and the leaves and all that. But typically I'll have like locked and loaded playlists for, for mushrooms because it's too good. <laughs> it's too yeah, helpful right? why, and why fun. Just- why disconnect that part of like who we are, right? It's as so musicians. much. It's so much. And not just as musicians too. I think as musicians, we get it even, you know, even more. Yeah. Um, but for everyone, I know what they always comment. Music has a very specific role when they're on mushrooms, for sure. They feel it and experience it differently. That is so cool because, um, yeah, I'm I'm down with that. I, I don't know what music yeah. I'll choose, but I, I will have different music probably for different experiences. You start to understand genres like anything that has psychedelic in it. Yeah. You start to say, so if it's psychedelic reggae, psychedelic rock, psychedelic, doesn't matter what it, but the genre besides psychedelic, you really start to understand what that word means because <laughs> when you're on, I think it's led a lot to my compositions, having done mushrooms earlier in my early twenties where i like, it made me fall in love with psychedelic music because it's, it's, it's a way <laughs> to, um create music specifically that seems to resonate when you're in states of consciousness like you are on mushrooms i guess that's the best way to kind of explain it yeah and yeah so it's like i can't really articulate it but it's 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 a very it's a very interesting thing i'm excited for for when you get to uh, experience that because i know (laughs) it's it'll it'll happen when it's meant to happen but um yeah music music really does look, feel, and sound quite different. So it's a, it opens up your, your mind a lot. And I think for a lot of people, it also opens up a lot of healing for that very reason. Yeah. I've had that experience of music being healing really profoundly so many times that to welcome that in on a a mushroom journey Mm. um, is just, it's so cool. I, I don't know. I'll have to see how it goes. Right. Yeah, let me know. Well, uh, that'll be another future fun episode. Will be the debrief. <laughs> exactly. I've I've got you know enough music practices so that I can catch myself in a bunch of different falling situations or amp myself up in a bunch of different opportunity situations. So I feel like I'm ready to catch whatever comes post trip. Hmm. You know, um, I feel like I'm equipped for that in a in a more useful way, for example, than if I weren't. Um, and that day may just be the result of too much therapy. <laughs> I don't think there's a such thing, first and foremost. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's... You know what I mean? It's like... I do. You build practices to be able to deal with your crap when it comes up. And and um, I have no judgment about that. Just like, okay, so fine. We're dealing with suicide again. Whatever it is, you know. Sure. Um, bring it on. So um, I feel like I'm ready for the post journey. And... This study, again, made me think about it. So how much intention do I want to bring to that? Or should I let the mushroom be the intention? Yeah, I think you want to bring your own intention and and you work together in collaboration with the mushrooms, you know, and there's aspects where you really, you learn to surrender where you're like, I've, I've fought, I've fought the waves and the ebbs and flows of the mushroom trip uh, previously because it felt unfamiliar. So yeah. I won't even say scary. It's scary, but it's just because the we fear the unknown. That's all. That's right. all that we're just fearing. not. It's just familiar. This, everything about mushrooms is a new experience. It's a completely different way of literally living in reality. So it is jarring for people. Now, when you're microdosing, it's it's a great way to ease yourself in because you're not, um, you know, 
extremely overwhelmed, which I was the first time I did mushrooms because I did way too much for your first time. <laughs> um, like the guy in, uh, in fabulous fungi. Now I didn't do his godlike dose, which was, uh, <laughs> I can only imagine like probably like 20 or 30 grams, which is like, yeah, it's nuts. Un- unfathomable how that would even turn out. But anyway, yeah. I, I still did a whole bunch and, um, it was great, but it was also like, I mean, I was, I had no idea what the hell was going on and my life was forever changed, but, uh, it was, it would be nice to have intention. It'd be nice to have a bit more guidance and stuff like that. But actually, yeah. you know, you mentioned something, Bill, and I, I wanted to get your, uh, wanted to ask you, which is what are your, what are your sort of favorite techniques and, and tricks now that you do have that you say that, you know, you'd implement after this trip, but like, what are, what are those tools that you have been able to, uh, kind of acquire for dealing with your shadow, dealing with, you know, emotional ups and downs. Um, like, are they all musical tricks or do they, they go outside of music? Well, music is an, as you know, a modality we're familiar with it, but there's lots of other things you can use too. And, and I love how the, all of the mind-based modalities are sort of coalescing mm. as we wander through this pandemic. I mean, emotional intelligence used to be a thing, right? And and what's happening is it's shifting out of the head and more into the heart as we get toward 5D consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. So we're becoming more aware that it's not just, you know, as a man thinketh, so he is or whatever. And it's not mind over matter. It's the combination of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, command and control is great, but there's other things you can do, right? So um, I was doing what I do years ago uh, with a room full of people and a grand piano and kazoos and the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. And... Um, one of the speaker, the keynote speaker actually came up to me afterwards. He said, Bill, I love what you do, but asked me, but could you do this? If I dropped you on the mountaintop in the middle of Afghanistan somewhere with a platoon of soldiers, could you do what you do? And I thought about it for a while. I said, you know what? I could probably, you know, take a little portable speaker and, you know, kazoos aren't heavy. And, but it got me thinking, right? How, how effective would this music care thing be if you couldn't play any music? Mm. And, um, Long answer to your question, which is that if music is in there, like inside you someplace, Mm. then it's available to you. And the science is that if you remember hearing a song, you get the same effects as if you heard the song, Mm. experienced the song in real life. Now, that's not the same as if you were at a live concert. I mean, let's let's be honest. Of course. Live concert, totally different experience. But the idea of playing something in your ears and remembering it, same physiological effect. The brain's smart, but it isn't smart enough. No, <laughs> you know, whether it's hearing something. So you get all of that wonderful stuff. So um, my practices generally evolve around uh, putting music in so that it's in there permanently, like dialing in the neuroscience. The neuroplasticity is built around the music, whether it's something I can play or not, you know, the music is in there. So I've got music that is in there for specific purposes and being able to go to that music for that purpose is a great intention. Mm. According to science, most powerful thing you can do, right? Mm-hmm. Play your music along with your intention. You got powerful music. Mm-hmm. So, um, depending on the situation, there's music for that. Mm. And I, I've built a little internal catalog of the stuff that I hit most often that's most triggering. And those are like my, you know, that I've got top songs for that. And then there's also the stuff that I enjoy and built music around that too, right? So um, there's a song for every purpose. <laughs> I love that, of course, right? Right, and. Um, I dialed back on the playlist thing, Chris, you know, cause I used to have this soundtrack your life kind of deal. And, and I, I still think that's a really good thing to do, but I want to see a very structured playlist. One with a beginning and a middle and end. Right. Mm. And if I'm going to do uh, like a treatment for something treatment for joy, 
I want to start slow and then I want to build that emotion and then I want to peak and then I want to let it down. Right. I just, mm -hmm. I want to do that happily ever after thing around. Mm -hmm. So what I call silver bullet playlist, but finding four songs that let that happen. Okay. They start out slow and introduce you, you know, like you can feel the mushrooms are coming on right now or whatever mm -hmm. it is, the, the, mm -hmm. whatever the plant medicine you're using is starting to yeah. have an effect. And then it eventually crests. And so three songs up and one to let go, you know, and mm. um, that has been really useful for me too, because among other things, it makes me sit still. Mm. And whether I've got the headphones to listen or whether I have to sit still and remember those four songs, there's a practice involved in that that's really healthy and, and affirming. By the time you're done with joy, or by the time I'm, in, I'm done with joy, you know, flipping joyous. <laughs> and by the time I'm done with sadness, I'm done being sad for a while. You know, it, it lets the emotion um, become present and become fully embodied, hopefully, if I'm doing it right, and I'm not distracted by something else. Mm -hmm. And then it lets it go. And, and when it comes to the crazy stuff, you know, I don't want to be full of anger all the time. So uh, that kind of tool lets it flow, which I think is healthy. Having mm -hmm. grown up uh, depressed, I realized much later in life that was a result of stuffing anger. So I don't stuff anger anymore. So um, yeah, long answer, short question. And, and you know, my anger song is going to be different than yours, anybody else. So that's fine too, because right. there's science for that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, some people like, uh, you probably read about that study that was in Australia not long ago where they studied people who just love metal music. They just, they go insane for it. And it was talking about how joyous they feel after listening to metal. And I get that. I, I can really see how that's possible, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't work for me. I mean, I get the adrenaline and all that, but I don't get that kind of extreme joy that I would get from some other piece of music from, you know, whatever mm -hmm. that is. But I'm like, that's, that's really cool, man. Go for it. If, if that's your joy music, then more power to you. And um, I, I don't know a whole lot of metal band players, but the ones that I do know are flipping PhDs, man. They build their own oh, instruments. Man. They are and, so you know, smart. Recording yeah. techniques and whatever. I mean, these guys are like the full embodiment of a music nerd. They are. Mm -hmm. masquerading as a metal band yeah <laughs> you know well they're like jazz and classical they're very oh, similar totally. to those those genres right where it's just yeah. like the musicianship is so high caliber it's over the top i mean they're so amazing at their We're instruments talking, juilliard phd playing the upright oh, yeah. bass on stage in a blood-stained wedding dress <laughs> <laughs> and that's what i love about the metal genre though is when it gets into the theatrics and you know right? like i find that so fun i love that so yeah i mean that's joyous right there just thinking about it Mm -hmm. Stolen Babies, people. You can hear them right now on Spotify or wherever else. You Stolen Babies. Great Stolen band. Babies? Stolen Babies. Another another part of the metal genre I love is the song titles and the band names. They oh are... They have to be absurd. You know? They, they're great. I love it. That's how it works. Yeah. You know? I love it. <laughs> I'm I'm probably enough of a rebel to do that, but I don't know if that's, if that's my genre or not. I think I'd probably pick something else that's... Um, well, as I have done, I've, I've screwed around with classical music a lot in front of people publicly. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I think people, I think that's the most fun is to hybrid it and, you know, yeah, mix it up. But yeah, that's yeah, really interesting. You know, I hadn't, I haven't really approached music in that, in that way of, in, I haven't done it consciously. I, I'll put it that way. Cause I actually, when you were describing this, I was like, you know, I remember when I was 16, I, uh, I was very fortunate. My aunt was going on this. Um, basically like an expedition to Tanzania, Africa with her friend to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Wow. I was in grade 10 at the time. And 
her friend at the very last minute had something come up. She couldn't make it. She couldn't go on the trip. Wasn't really going to get much of a refund. So she said to my aunt, you know, Hey, anyone else that, you know, want to go on the trip? I jokingly had no expectations. I was like, I'd go. And then uh, a couple of days later, <laughs> you did. I did. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. I got exempted from all my exams. It was amazing. And uh, I couldn't have been happier. And I went to Africa for three weeks to uh, Tanzania and I climbed Kilimanjaro I climbed with, with Kilimanjaro. my aunt and yeah. uh, did all that. And Kilimanjaro was a nine day expedition, uh, seven days up, two days down. And it was my first real time dealing with major altitude and altitude sickness. How, t- how tall is that. Kilimanjaro? Is it? So it's just above the base camp of Al- of, of Everest, and um, you know, I'll, I'll, I I honestly can't remember um, the stats, so I'll pull them up here on uh, okay on thingy on Wikipedia. It's over ten, I'm guessing. It is definitely over ten. It's 19,341 19, 19, feet. So that's th- that's five thousand eight hundred ninety five. Sorry, five thousand eight hundred ninety five meters. Yeah. So. So that was, uh, that was my first major, major climb like that major dealing with the altitude. Uh, it kicked my ass to say the very least altitude and me don't go too well together. I was very sick by day two and I still had six more to go. And it was one of the most physically exhausting, difficult things I've ever had to do when you're like, I'm already at 0% and I (laughs) I have to somehow find an exceptional amount more of energy to keep going here. And there got to be, well, I mean, one of the techniques was picking a song that I really liked uh, at the time that gave me hope, that gave me motivation, energy. Um, It was uh, one of the main ones that I I would, I would loop quite a few. I think I was singing some Sinatra, some Frank Sinatra at times, just songs from my childhood that made me feel good. Um, There was one song in particular from Coldplay um, called Swallowed in the Sea. It was off their third studio album. And uh, it's a beautiful love song. And the melody just felt really good to sing acapella. So I was starting to just, I was actually through pure necessity singing out loud because I found it the easiest way to distract myself, to feel better, to not be so mentally and physically exhausted in that particular time. Also, for some reason, alleviated some of my nausea because I was just constantly nauseous. I couldn't eat. I basically didn't eat for about six days uh, on that trip. And so, I mean, yeah, it was like that very visceral, physical, like kicked my butt. But one of the things that kept me going was music and it was singing it internally, like you mentioned to myself. And then eventually it became so much more like, I need to actually like vibrate. Like I need to sing it. It needs to come from inside yeah, me. And then I hear it as well. And it creates that full sort of circuit. And uh, man, I, I'll never forget it. It, it kept me going. And I remember the day that we summited, we came down and the only, the only way you can get out of altitude sickness is to go down. Like it's just, there's no other way to do it. You just got to get off that mountain and go back down to sea level. So, uh, as I was summiting each or sorry, not summiting, as I was coming down the mountain, every step I took felt like a new breath of life was just injected into me. And it was a really fun sensation to be like, life is, is coming back into me. So then I started singing from like, instead of this necessity to keep myself alive, it became an expression of the most serene joy because I was feeling unbelievable levels of euphoria as I came down the mountain and came back into like a proper body that was healthy again. And I felt not only so good just to come down from that, 
but the effects and athletes will do this too, where they put their bodies in those machines that replicate high altitude right, so that yeah. their blood cells will, I don't forget, I forget the scientific situation that happens with altitude, but basically it's like your red blood cell count changes and stuff like that. And so they do that because when you go at a higher altitude, you learn to function with less oxygen, your body gets stronger. So then when it gets more oxygen, it's just even that much more stronger. So it's a really good method for training. So anyway, at the end of this hike, I had the same effects happening where I felt like a freaking superhero for the next couple of days after that. And again, I felt like expressing this in loud song because I felt so jubilant and like joyous. And I was just like, yeah. la, 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 la. you know, I couldn't, I, I couldn't keep it in. So music kept me going. And then music also became my sort of celebration um, of being alive basically afterwards. So you triggered all those memories when you're saying um, oh, man. <laughs> your methods there. Cause I was like, maybe I was, I was doing a bill method. <laughs> oh, I did. I, you know, I'd love to take credit, but they aren't mine. It's just people have been doing this right. Right. For a thousand years. And, and I think it's high time we brought it all back and made it more conscious mm. because, well, I mean, look around, we're not doing a great, you know, society, not doing a great job um, with uh, managing belief, I think is the right way to put it. Mm -hmm. Did you read that article? I know I saw this or not. Um, it was an Ars Technica last week. The hacker who basically designed the disinformation campaign that um, that made Hillary, Hillary look really bad in her uh, election with Trump mm. wound up sort of pushing the vote toward Trump. And this was one guy hired by a company called Koala Media or something like that, wow. who had the skills to set up thousands of virtual servers around that could not be connected to each other to promote hmm. fake news. Hmm. And um, he's coming out because he feels, first of all, it's time to take that kind of skill and use it for good. Yeah. Ethical hacking, right? Cool. But also his own dad doesn't believe the truth anymore. And it's a result of something that this guy, his kid did to promote all this fake news and, and it it shifted the electorate so the fact is that we've been as you know believers of whatever uh, this thing called music has kind of sort of not been near the top of the pinnacle of our belief system when it comes to healthcare, mm. at least in the west right we think about it in a different way but you coming down the mountain you know singing literally for joy and the way that i deal with stuff like suicide or whatever um, these aren't secrets. They aren't, you know, anything new or novel. People have been doing this for centuries, thousands of years, I would imagine. And um, I mean, let's bring them back because first of all, they're free. And secondly, they're really powerful. They really so work. powerful. I mean, and it is, and it, it, it's free. It's, it's, it's the ease. It's like breath work. It's like meditation. It's like so many of these things that can yes. uh, completely change your life can change so many physiological and psychological uh, issues that we encounter every day and, and, and really severe ones. And they, like the, the impacts endless as we know, it's infinite really what it can do. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really the mission. I feel like we're both on in a, in a lot of ways is just bringing back music and sound healing to the masses in a much more tangible way because yeah. it's been done. It's been done. It's been done. It's been done. It's, it's so much a part of our history and our past, but it's been forgotten and it's been overlooked. And we're just now through science being reminded um, with new tangible science that yeah. this stuff works. It works powerfully well, but 
you know, like with anything, it's like, how are you using it? What's the intention behind how are you using it? You know, what kind of music, like we were talking about before, I mean, all that matters. So it's, it's, it's great, but it also, it's a huge area. I mean, we're just, we're just scratching the surface of what we know like so little about. Oh my God. But your experience in the pyramids, I mean, there's, there, there's literally sound all around us Yes, as they're starting to discover with mushrooms. Mushrooms have been around a long time too, right? So um, these, these modalities that are ancient, um, they just must be laughing at us somewhere in the world. It's like, oh, look at America's finally discovering music. Oh, oh they, they, they remember now, you know? Yeah. They're remembering. So, what, I mean, why not? Let's do that, right? Or whatever it is. And for heaven's sake, the toughest part about this is you don't have to be a trained singer to sing. You can have the, the amazing physiological effect of song without being Pavarotti, you know, or oh, Adele yeah. or anybody else who, who has a trained voice. <laughs> we're just it's... listening to t-pain on on wait wait don't tell me national public radio right and apparently the story is he showed up for his npr tiny desk thinking he was going to be an interview subject he didn't know he was there know. to perform and yet he gave a performance that has had more views than you know like 24 million views wow and um and he's not a trained singer and that's what he had to do that day you know because he had nothing else and of course obviously the guy's got chops right so um and 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 why not? So what? You know, who cares? If autotune is the thing that makes you sound different and that's your and then go for it, man, whatever, cool. But if you're just looking for some relief, mm-hmm. you know, um mm-hmm. just get your body vibrating. That's what it is. Like even if it's just humming and all these different things, like but just to use sound vibration, you know, use your vocal cords for so many different things other than just sure talking box even whatever whatever gets some you know some energy happening in there Mm -hmm. let's do that Mm -hmm. and um and and you know what if breath is hard for you don't push it but singing opens up you know the the system it doesn't shut it down and um and do that right i was first taught how to breathe properly not through yoga and not through meditation but through my vocal lessons you know yep that was what i think yeah there you go Mm -hmm. it's all diaphragm it's stomach first then chest not only chest which is what most people do did you have this experience like in middle school years where you could run longer with more freedom than anybody else in the room (laughs) (laughs) i had pretty good stamina yeah thanks to all that uh, thanks to breath breath work. work Yeah, exactly. And people were like, I wasn't fast, but I, I could outlast anybody on the track. And it was weird because, you know, I don't have any training and mm-hmm. track and field. Mm-hmm. I just play the horn. And, uh, and yet it's the breath work that makes it all possible. Yeah. It's knowing how to use oxygen, which is, it's just another, we could do many podcasts just on oxygen and breath work, because that's another thing that we're rediscovering that we've done for thousands and thousands of years, but now science is catching up. And it's saying like, you know that you can you can oxygenate your entire body and i've done this so many times now where i experiment with that and i can i can hold my breath for many minutes now and i'm asthmatic too so i even have like a respiratory quote unquote issue and it doesn't matter like i still can have far greater lung capacity than an average person who isn't doing breathwork exercises it's purely because it's just it's like your body it's like it's like running a car uh, it's like having a, a car that drives manual 
and you literally don't even know what the difference between first, you know, second, third, fourth gear even does. So you're kind of like trying to jam it from one to, to, to four and your car is going, oh, God, oh, geez. Yeah. And like it yeah. might, it'll get there. It'll, it'll work. But man, is it going to do some damage and not get you anywhere? Like it's not going to get you there faster. It's going to be poor performance for the vehicle. And ultimately it's going to wear it down way faster too. It's the same with our breathing. Like all that, that high chest breathing tells your body physiologically that you're, you're in fight or flight. You know, it doesn't know the difference between getting chased by a bear and you just breathing improperly. And if you don't think that's not a big deal, well, your body, when your body is stressed, it releases, as you and me both know, all those hormones and many, many things that uh, really deteriorate your body because it's not designed to be stressing constantly. But if you're breathing like that constantly, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. Breathe yourself. uh, (laughs) To death? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I mean, theoretically, it could happen, right? If you didn't Mm -hmm. learn to, to breathe deep. I mean, seriously, breathe deep. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a challenge. I mean, here we are talking about all this, but uh, when I started swimming again a few years ago, before the pandemic and they closed all the pools, mm. um, I discovered that I had to relearn how I use oxygen. And I love how you say that, how you use oxygen, because you don't get much time when you're breathing in the water for a breath. No. But you can certainly do it. And it's not a matter of when you're swimming, it's not a matter of holding your breath, which is convenient in some circumstances. You do learn to be able to minimize the number of breaths that you need, but um, you really have to use that oxygen wisely. So <laughs> it's, it's a real delicate balance to figure mm-hmm. out where your particular amount of in-breath needs to be. Out-breath is easy, at least underwater, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and to, to, find how you fit into that equation for the amount of effort that you need to do, you know, so many laps in such a period of time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's a whole new thing once you're conscious of it. Yeah. Right. So, and you can always stand up in a pool people. So don't try to kill yourself. I mean, Wim Hof is amazing. If you haven't seen him, go see him um, or go see his videos mm-hmm. because it's, it's amazing what the body can do, you know, with a little education mm-hmm. and uh, he's teaches other people to do that amazing stuff too. So, um, yeah, I mean, music is a relatively benign modality. It's not illegal yet. <laughs> no, we're not, you can not do it on be. your own. <laughs> I will it's be off planet if people. it ever becomes. <laughs> I know illegal. we'd be we'd be. Uh, I'm out. That's when, if they make that illegal. That's where I, I fully am. Like, okay, I'm going to Mars. <laughs> we all talk about moving to Canada down here the next election. You know, well, oh, yeah. it's not moving to Canada, right? And, I hear uh, that every election in this. Right. State. Right. <laughs> So, uh, you know, when the, when the music police come for us, yeah, right. Oh, no, let's go there. Uh, I, I was, I don't know, chagrined at the same time. And also a little bit, um, uh, oh, it kind of made me smile to hear that Trump had some guy around him that was there to play music. That's, sick. you know, I like that. And then I, I heard the music that they were playing is playing like Andrew, like Weber and stuff like that. It's okay, fine. Okay. Whatever. You know, yeah. I'm not going to be judgmental about this. Yeah. You know, if that worked great, but, um, do you remember when uh, President and the First Lady went to visit uh, the UK for the first time? They didn't have an audience with the Queen. Maybe they did. I don't know. But they were greeted by the Prime Minister uh, at, the, at the time. Uh, well, it wasn't Theresa May, was it? Was she the Prime Minister? She could have been. She could have been. And and they were uh, greeted at this palace, like this gorgeous palace somewhere in the middle. Of, and there was a marching band, and they played Amazing Grace, whatever. The music was chosen so well. And it was all orchestrated and coordinated and choreographed to be a very impressive display 
of the core of our history, right? So mm. I'm I'm Scottish and UK too by uh, by heritage. Okay. Very moving. And um, I watched the whole thing. It took about twenty minutes, something like that, before everybody was welcomed and they went inside. And um, Trump was trying to figure out what camera was on him the whole time. He looked so uncomfortable. He was unmoved by the music that was making the, you know, the prime minister of UK moving her to tears mm. and her husband. And you could tell like Milani was holding it back too. And yet our president was just like, he wasn't there. He wasn't present no. in this music. And you have to resist music like that. I mean, you really have to push back in. It's hard to stand there in that kind of circle of power mm. with Amazing Grace playing, you know, on bagpipes mm. and, a, and a full military band and not be moved. I get shivers down my spine thinking about that mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. You know, how can you be that impervious? You really have to work hard to push it back. Like once you learn how to breathe right, you have to really work hard to not breathe right. It's true. You know, Very it's like true. you can't unring that bell. <laughs> and, um, you know, as as humorous as the story about the guy following Trump around with the, with music was, um, it didn't really sink in at that big moment that was televised for him. Yeah. And, and I often wonder when I'm looking at places where music is being played in public, whether it's our national anthem at a ball game, um, what's the intention there? What's happening? Right. You know, Black Lives Matter sort of, has changed that. Uh, the way that we hear the Stars Mail Matter has, has changed that. The way that we hear God mm. Save the Queen will change when Queen Elizabeth passes away and we have to start saying, God Save the King. Right. 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 Think about the intention behind that. Mm. Right. And, and these are just, I mean, subtle little things. The rest mm -hmm. of the world doesn't, oh, yeah, okay, God Save the King. Oh, I forgot. I got to say the King now. Right. Yeah. Right. Just a little change. But that, no, it's, you know, it goes deep. And, and, if you once you've learned that and the importance of that, you know every little thing changes mm. around that in in a way that's really profound and and quite powerful actually. I think um, intention. The, <laughs> I mean, you, you can't hear "Amazing Grace" without knowing that the words are written by a slave trader, right? And I actually didn't know that, Bill. I didn't know that. Oh, but yeah, it's it's a crazy story, but yeah. And uh, he was going to lose his ship full of slaves, and and he he was not a believer, right? And but he hit his knees, and that's when he got the words. And um, I mean, seriously, if Trump isn't the symbol, here we go, politics. But if Trump isn't the symbol for the white supremacist weirdos that come out of the closet, mm. you know. And he was unable to respond to Amazing Grace with any kind of an authentic mm. look, demeanor. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like. No, we can be more skillful in the world, right? When it comes to music, we can sing when we go up and down the mountain. 100%. I, I, I just thought about, um, I, I, I was not brought up religious. So I remember the odd times I went into churches. It was always a very interesting experience for me because I didn't have either side. So like the stigma of some people, especially like friends of my, especially my age who were born into religious families have a lot more, um, usually resentment towards that religion typically. Yes. And, and then on the me. other side, yeah, exactly. And then on the other side, they might have, um, so much 
kind of blind uh, faith in a sense towards sure. that religion yeah. where they're not very inclusive of others. So it kind of goes on either spectrum. For me, I would always kind of fall like very neutral, very much Switzerland when I'm in the church. Cause I'm like, I don't know, like, I don't know what to expect. I'm, I'm just kind of here. So I remember in some of these church situations where I was like, I, I, I'll be honest, especially when I was a little younger, I'd be a little bored at whatever the situation oh, sure, was. Yeah, it's not like a whole it's usually not. The, yeah. Nowadays, I'd be much more interested in hearing like what are the, even the words being said, and I would probably be a bit more tuned in. But regardless, when the music would, would start, whether it was a choir or even like the church bands or even just one person singing a cappella, every time I always was like, oh, my God, this is moving. I mean, especially in the acoustics of a church and the intention behind it, a very, very obvious intention being put behind the song. And it was always, always, always so moving and, you know, amazing grace being, uh, being performed. I've heard uh, in a church with uh, just acapella, a couple of people singing with gorgeous harmony. I mean, like goosebumps galore. You're, if you're not brought to tears or, you know, at the very least deeply moved emotionally, then yeah, you're, you you have to be kind of consciously shutting yourself off from that because I didn't go in expecting anything. So I didn't have really the intention to listen, but I didn't have the intention not to listen either. So I was very much kind of an, I was open. Yeah, you were, you were open. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, with that being said, it's, it's just interesting to hear how, yeah, if the intention is that I'm, in a bad mood today and I don't want to open up to anything and, and screw that and all this, then, then that is what you're going to receive. So if you take a therapeutic piece of music and try to go and you go into it with like, ah, I don't know, this isn't going to work. And this is, you know, like uh, I, I, you've already kind of made up your mind. So that intention is powerful because it, you won't be able to receive all the, the healing uh, benefits when you've made up your mind to not really receive them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Tension's pretty important. There's <laughs> a, um, there's a level of individuality that I don't think people have really appreciated about this yet. You know, we like to say, oh, you know, the vaccine, we're 80% vaccinated, right? That means 80% of the people aren't going to get COVID. Right. Well, that may be so, but then we found the ones where they, even though they're vaccinated, they still get it, right? So there's that. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Um, we got to have this medicine work 98% of the time in order to approve it, right? And um, we can say happily with music that it doesn't work 98%. doesn't even work 100% of the time. Mm -mm. But for one person to be able to have their specific song is 100% of the time, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That song isn't going to work for Bill or Chris or whoever, but it works for that guy. And, mm -hmm. and that's cool, right? That's where we want. And it works but, really well. It works person. really, really well. We've got we've to allow that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. That kind of individuality is powerful. Mm-hmm. And um, rather than individualize as well, my way is the right way. And none of you, you know, know. It's anything. only Amazing Grace and no other song will work, you know. Right. It's like, and in B flat, mm, it no. can't be in B. It, it yes, be. exactly. <laughs> it's the same thing. And it's like with medicine, of course, you're dealing with chemicals and, and a lot of things that can go wrong with medicine oh, yeah. and with and with music. Once again, it's like it's really hard to OD on music it's really hard to uh injure yourself with music well, unless so, you're listening to two and 440 tuning then you're wrong yeah well, <laughs> you know <laughs> right <laughs> then that's a whole other can of worms 432 or nothing yeah you know, it's not, that's healing. the problem of course with that french study you know they weren't listening it wasn't tuned the right way <laughs> that's the main issue let's be that's realized. the main issue yeah there's no other issue just that. I have I no idea it. what's best for you, my friend, and you don't have any idea what's best for me, but you know what? It's really great that we can be in that place 
because isn't the conversation, isn't the process more important than the, you know, than, than the thing? I mean, yes. we're having this conversation. Somebody's listening to us going, no, they don't know what they're talking about. Amazing Grace isn't, but it's this. Yay, good, hooray. It's whatever that is for you, go do that, right? Because, um, because you can. And mm-hmm. if it works, then fantastic. If it doesn't, you'll find something else that works. You know, got that much music. It's it's like taking all these tools, you know, everyone meditates a little differently. Everyone does yoga a little differently. Everyone goes on a run a little bit differently, you know, yeah. uh, it doesn't matter. It's just like, you gotta, I think it always comes back to us having a bit more faith in ourselves and in that, you know, that inner knowing and that inner voice yeah. that we all have, we all have that guidance within ourselves, but it's so easy to seek it externally and to get totally. pulled around and influenced by external forces. But it, yeah. You know, music at the end of the day kind of helps you come back to to yourself as well. When you, especially when you listen to some piece of music that, for whatever reason, it just it makes you feel more whole, makes you feel more comforted, whatever that is. You know, and, and don't you don't have to question that. You know, really don't have to overanalyze it. You don't have to overthink these things. If it makes you feel better, then that's all that really matters. That's that's the thing, right? That's recalibrating your internal, um, you know, your true north or whatever you want to call it, whatever mm-hmm. that thing is. Mm-hmm. And with practice, you can really get good at that. And, and it's not practice, it, it's not the kind of practice that says, well, this is what I like and this is what I don't, right? Mm-hmm. Great. Choices are fine. We don't like, but the, the practice is becoming aware of what, ha- what happens to you when you, yeah. when you listen to something you don't like, if you're not a fan of metal, put on some metal and see what happens to you. You know, with that as a stimulus, you might surprise yeah. yourself. Yeah. You know, um, my, my mom, bless her heart, was, she was chronically happy, right? To the point where it was like a little annoying. It's like, she never got sad and she's a musician. Mm. How can you be a musician without sadness? Mm. I mean, just as an example, right? There's so much music that takes us deeply into sadness that, I mean, yeah, joy is more, it's, it's, it's a better thing. I like joy, but, you know, I don't know what percentage of the music do you think in the world is sad music? I'd say there's a lot. I mean, a lot, I, right? a lot of emotional music out there. We need that. We do. And because of all, all of our emotions aren't inherently good or bad they just are and just we'll are. we'll put the emphasis if it's a good or bad but it is it, it, we have them for a reason they're there to be our own another form of a gps coordinate system if something yeah. makes you angry well that's telling you something that you need to pay attention to and if something makes you happy it's the same thing so yeah you know experiment with that and music i mean my god is it ever a great way to just bring out emotion whatever that emotion is you know it's a good, the, the emotion is a good gateway, right? Into the yeah. rest of it. Cause mm-hmm. you can, through emotion, you can sort of get in contact with your physiological response to anger mm. in, a, in a new way. Right. And you can mm-hmm. take your pulse and all that and figure out how you're breathing and whether you're breathing fast or slow. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, but the emotions are kind of an interesting way of getting into that. And um, we all remember what it's like to be angry or sad or happy or, you know, scared. Um, Scary movies are great with that. You know, you really, oh, they are. You really calibrate your fright when you're watching the birds or something, or mm-hmm. the, you know, what's the Bates Motel? Uh, uh, Psycho. Bates. Psycho. Yeah. Yeah. That shower scene, that music is classic, indelible. Yeah. You know, and um, and writing that music's fun because you start to really like it's the quite op- literal opposite of me writing my meditation music is writing for a horror soundtrack, which I actually had to do over the weekend which was really fun. No, oh, perfect. Um, so I was I was really trying to find some I actually tuned everything to 440 because it was horror. So I actually huh. didn't want the medicinal. I wanted um, something to feel a little little more off because that was the intention behind the music and to put some of the sounds and you know like you're really going for things that go like oh like 
oh, I'm scared. I'm chilled, you know, and to, to be seeking that in the music is a, is, it's kind of trippy. Uh, it's really fun. It's a, it's a fun contrast to play with. Um, so I think there's therapeutic elements to even, even the horror side of things too. And, and just for the listeners who can't see Chris right now, he looks completely normal today. There's no, you know, tragic effects from having spent the weekend writing, scoring a horror film. I don't have extra big bags <laughs> under my eyes, you know, no, no nothing, like... no horns. I mean, I know, th- <laughs> you know, October's coming here, you've got Halloween and all that, but no, it looks pretty normal to me. Thanks. Yeah. I think I'm uh, pretty came away unscathed <laughs> there, there's sort of a, a poltergeist still floating in the back of oh well room. that's just normal yeah okay. that's that's the little worry about that uh, <laughs> my friendly neighborhood poltergeist <laughs> actually oddly you say that word the the film we were doing was a um uh based off of poltergeist it was uh it's not full horror it was a horror comedy actually so there's oh even better elements and, and comedy too so you get to contrast it that's see that's lovely that's contrast is where it's at i, th- I think i think so too you know the, yeah and maybe the whole game is just about managing contrast. Mm. First of all, like being aware of it and then being able to, you know, skillfully steer through it or maybe bring people along with you through it. I don't know what, whatever the particular role you have, but mm. obviously as the music guide for this film, uh, your responsibility is to set it up. Oh yeah. Do you have to set up the laughs too? Yeah, a little bit. So I would contrast it by playing some uh, gypsy jazz yeah, you go. You know, you know, to contrast the more kind of vibes. So you get, and especially in comedy, it's it's always more fun when you have like complete contrast, right? Stark, stark. Yeah, the bigger the contrast, the bigger the laugh, the joke usually, or the bigger the jump. Exactly. Yeah, I love it. Well, again, with time, I'm just looking here and yeah, top of the hour. Top of the hour, and uh, I gotta run again after all this. But um, I guess you gotta get some rest, Bill. You know, I gotta get gonna... some rest. Yeah, we spent all weekend with a somebody in the room upstairs tromping around at four in the morning, moving <laughs> furniture, and that's fun. Yeah, so that was a real exercise in uh, forgiveness, deep breathing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening in on our conversation and for taking time to show your appreciation with a like, share, or subscribe. Discussions of music, healing, and consciousness is a practice of spontaneity, and we welcome your comments, ideas, and questions. There are ways to connect with us in the show notes, so let us hear from you. Until next time, this is Bill Protzman along with Chris Noble wishing you great musical health. Samara Huchaya. Thank you.